Welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. In today's episode, Christy and I interview Melissa from the Top Drawer RVA about turning a side hustle into a full-time sponsored business. We're also joined by Jacob from Other Dog Designs and get into the business of hoarding for the future. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. How have you been? Doing good. Great. All right. So that great sounds a little different because Austin is sick again, again. Mm. And I say again, because he needs to get that immune system checked out. So we went to the bullpen and tapped other dog designs. Uh, Jacob, creator of the awesome mugs that Christy sent us for Valentine Day. Yay. And so uh, we've been wanting to get Jacob on here for a while. So I'm glad we were able to get you to fill in for Austin. How's it going, Jacob? Great. How are you guys doing? Good, man. So what have you been up to this past week? Not or a whole year, lot. doesn't matter, whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I sent in my bribe, got sent the tumblers in and that bought me a, a spot in the thing, you know. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> At least you recognize that. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, hanging out, making pins, reminiscing about when I made surfboards. Um, you know, same old, same old, what you guys are used to. Um, actually, uh, we've been, uh, we've been in the shop last couple of days. Um, uh, the other half of other dog designs, my wife, Jade, she's been learning to make, uh, learning to do woodworking and she's been making cutting boards and she just out of the gate makes nicer cutting boards than me. So that's awesome. So I've been doing that. Um, and we, uh, we have like a little side gig we provide, uh, we make custom canvases for a lot of the artists in Charlotte. So I make the, um, uh, start from the raw wood, build the stretchers and then, uh, stretch the raw canvas over it so that it can then be primed to make oil paintings and, and stuff like that. So that's, um, um, you know, kind of get into the, once you get into the, the higher end art stuff, like building them, uh, they're a little bit more exacting than, than you're going to get at, you know, Walmart. So, yeah. um, so we do a little bit of that and that um, place, Walmart, it's yeah, no, terrible. It's off. Trust me. <laughs> hey, I live in Northwest Arkansas area. So I know besides Jacob, I have to, um, you know, pledge a little bit of allegiance to the area. So <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say, you're just a hop, skip and a jump there from Bentonville. So it's Walmart yeah. all around you. Um, yeah, a lot yeah. of, yeah, a lot of Marvin's clients are Walmart people. So yeah, we have to appreciate and acknowledge them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Other than that, just, um, uh, working on rearranging the office workspace. Cause everybody in our, uh, discord group seems to be getting a 3d printer. So I've got the bug. So I'm, I'm hoping to get one soon, but I, the deal is I have to get the space clean first. And then so uh, what is your house layout? Like how many bedrooms do you have? Um, the house itself is supposed to be three bedrooms, but we have, we've rearranged it. The master bedroom has been turned into like a TV room. Uh, we're in one of the, one bedroom is an office and then an actual bedroom. We, you know, uh, no kids. So, um, for a long time, our living room was in our kitchen and then our, our living room was a shop. And so we just kind of rearrange it. Based no, on I'm menu. glad to hear that. I think one of the big myths is the American home. Like nobody says you need a formal dining room and you need to have guest rooms. Like those people can stay in a hotel. Why would I pay <laughs> property taxes on a, you know, 800 square feet of guest space when they can stay at the best hotel possible for cheaper than that? So I'm glad to hear you're making your space work for you. Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason for the largest room in the house to be the bedroom where you only spend, you, you spend the least amount of time in it, make it something nice and put your bed in the smallest room because you don't need any space, but the bed. So another rule I live by is never make, don't let the cable outlet on the wall dictate where your TV goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will drill a hole in the floor in a heartbeat. So yep. 
So, uh, Christy, what have you been up to this last week? Uh, we've been making some nice uh, progress on the shop, and I must uh, do a definite shout out to Dean for recommendation on my lights. Because, you know, putting the roof on, well, putting the walls up was a big accomplishment. Putting the roof on was a big accomplishment. But I'm telling you what, flipping on some lights, even though they're kind of they're kind of electrical sketchy at this point because we don't have the actual main line coming in. So they're still kind of uh, wired up via extension cords. But eight foot long LEDs along, you know, along the whole ceiling is just it's like. I'm afraid someone might, you know, try to land a plane just from what shoots out the front when the garage doors open because yeah. whew, it is bright. It reminds me of that old country song, you know, every light in the shop was on. She didn't know what kind of wood I was working on. Yeah. You know, yes. that one, huh? Uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that might not be it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So we were, um, we were working on electrical last weekend and then uh, we're going to insulate the upstairs. And oh my gosh, I, I built a sketchy stairs, just a temporary stairs to go up to the, to the uh, upstairs area temporarily till we get the deck put on. And then probably the most comical and frustrating part was the upstairs is a frame. And then we've got the knee walls that are kind of, you know, up in about, two, three feet, you know, from the very bottom. And we're needing to put insulation, those baffles and the insulation in there. So Marvin's on the outside catching the baffle to make sure it doesn't fall through. And I'm squeezing myself. I mean, you guys have seen me. I'm a big gal. I'm squeezing myself in between the very corner of the, of the roof and the knee wall. And I'm sitting on one of those little rolly, uh, garden stools that, you know, uh -huh. so you can just roll on. So I'm just, you know, rolling along stuff, stuck, sticking those baffles in there. And then every once in a while I'll accidentally turn a little too much one way or the other. And that thing shoots out behind me and I am on my butt cursing up a storm and Marvin's just waiting patiently because, you know, he knows now is not a good time to hurry me. So, so anyway, this sounds like was... one of those times where Marvin needs a hall pass to get a skinny girlfriend just to help with insulation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't need to feed her or nothing. Just one, two dates, take her to a movie, help with insulation, cut her well, off. Or, or, I mean, you've seen the worker guys, they're pretty small frame yeah. guys. We should have, uh, we should have made Dakota stay a little later that evening just to do that really, uh, that really tight fit kind of area there because, uh, yeah, that was a little tricky, but, but yeah, good progress and, uh, really happy with how it's going. I'm just hoping the camera was rolling. Cause I want to see that. No, footage in the YouTube <laughs> no, video, so. no, I've been so anxious just to get stuff done and to not be the weakest link in our team of workers that I've not really, I've not really oh, recorded yeah. a whole lot because I, I just, you know, I want to be productive. So I'm going to probably regret that later on that I yeah. didn't do as much footage as I wish I would have. But I think after we talk to our guest in Q2, you're going to regret not filming as much footage as possible. Yeah, I am pretty certain that is for sure. So, uh, so Dean, what have you been up to? I got the robot army marching this weekend. I got all three robots, some up to five robots, but I had nice. three robots on the one table, two 3d printers running. The Nomad made its first cut this weekend, but mm -hmm. I'm so terrified to put the first piece of brass in there and it not work the way I have it working in my mind. 
that I don't know about y'all, but I have this thing where if I have something I have to do, I go and find anything else to do instead. Yeah, I'm with you. So four years ago, we bought a new microwave and to put it in, I had to pull a row of tile down. And some reason I found it was more worth my time to put that row of tile back up, regrout, grout and everything, finish that tile backsplash behind the stove from four years ago, then put a piece of brass in the Nomad. Come on, man. I tried to pressure wash the driveway, but the pressure washer wouldn't start. I was like looking for anything I could possibly do besides put a piece of brass in that machine. But I think, you know, time's up. By the time this episode airs, I'll probably have run a piece of brass in the machine and we'll see either I wasted a bunch of money or I'm on to something to take it up a notch. Oh yeah. You'll get it. You'll get it. Yeah. I mean, they're made, they're made for you to screw up. You'll be fine. I'm I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. Today, we're joined with Melissa from the Top Drawer RVA, who transformed basic furniture pieces into truly artistic focal points. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can you kind of give us a little rundown about yourself and and how you fit in the maker community from your perspective? Of course. Okay. So I am a furniture painter and an artist, if you will. Um, my business name is the Top Drawer RVA. RVA stands for Richmond, Virginia area. That just kind of gives me my local RVA hashtag for all the things that I create. Um, I am a brand ambassador for Dixie Bell. Dixie Bell is a American owned woman run company that um, makes paint products and everything that you would ever need to go with it for painting furniture. And I'm also a uh, creative coach for creatives in the business world that would like to elevate their brand online. Yeah, I wish I would have ran across you before I did my first uh, furniture paint job. And literally it was a paint job as opposed to what you do here. So when I ran across your page, the vibrant colors and just, just the beautiful transformations that you do. I mean, it just caught me right. I mean, it just literally addicted me to where I was just watching all your stuff because it's, they're truly, truly beautiful. Um, Like, where do you find like the pieces that you transform? Where do you find the pieces that you work with? So I like to look at furniture as functional art for the home. Um, If somebody were to contact me and say, hey, can you custom paint this table for me? And I'd like it white with a black top. I I mean, I'm very lucky enough at this point in my career to say no, but that makes me want to, you know, cover my eyes and run away. I love bold (laughs) color and I feel like everything should be a little bit fancy pants. You know, why not Mm -hmm. make it creative and fun and color makes me happy. So that's, that's the reason why I love color, but when it comes down to finding pieces, to be honest with you, a lot of my stuff gets picked up for free off marketplace. Sometimes yeah. I'm lucky enough to find things on the side of the road, um, obviously shop auctions and, and whatnot. But at this point as well, I know enough neighborhood people that know me as that strange lady that paints furniture and they just drop it off like furniture fairies in my, in my driveway. Nice. So the kind mm-hmm. of furniture that furniture fairies are dropping off, this obviously isn't trendy stuff that's going to sell for hundreds of dollars as is. Do you think you making it fancy pants maybe takes away from some of the dated uh, dimensions and the way that furniture is actually approached? I think that for me, I, I love a ugly duckling and I'll say that all day long. Give me the garbage. Give me something that's broken. That looks like literal trash because I get a super rush out of taking it and making it something 
fabulous. I think that there's something very satisfying, kind of like when you vacuum the carpet and you get to see those clean little lines in the carpet. You're like, wow, I took that. I did that. It's, it's a satisfying process. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a fun way to take something that's useless, maybe discarded and make it into something else. And I kind of would rather the garbage than, than a piece that would be making me nervous to paint. I think people might say, oh, I can't paint this. It was my grandmother's hope chest and I need to keep it in the original condition. And, and I look at it and I think, okay, but are you using it? Is it a functional piece in your home? No, I Mm. covered it with a blanket. I don't like the color. Oh, I put it in the attic because it's got a big stain or something's broken. Then why not take it and make it something you love? Because your grandma would be more happy with you using it in your home every day than hiding it away in the attic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, when you are finding these pieces, how far is too far gone for a piece that you'd pick up or that you would do? Like, what's your kind of general parameters on what you're looking for or what you won't take? Sure, sure. Okay. So, a little secret about me when people see me videoing and filming, because I literally film every single move I make when I paint a piece <laughs> of furniture. And this will come into the conversation, I'm sure, when we talk about being a brand ambassador and a content creator. Um, because I'm filming, I need, obviously, Wi-Fi and I need electrical power. And I don't have a garage. <laughs> so oh. I have a shed, um, a very large shed that we put in when we bought this home about seven years ago for the purpose of me painting furniture. Because at that point, I was painting furniture to flip furniture, painting to mm. sell, painting to sell. There was a lot more white, grays and blacks you know, in my kind of area at that point for selling purposes. Um, but now I paint in a tiny little corner in my dining room where I have lights and Wi-Fi and electrical power. So for me, if I have to do a lot of, um, say sanding or a lot of super duper repair work, like maybe ripping a top off or adding a new top, it's kind of like you do half of it in the shed, the hard you know, the hard power tool work gets done out there. And then the rest of it comes into the dining room corner. And that's where I'm uh, painting and working and, and doing my work. Have you taken like classes in color or techniques or these kind of things, or have you kind of learned it on your own? So I've always loved art. I mean, artist at heart, total dreamer, rather be, you know, doing that or, you know, painting or creating, but I'm also a thrifty girl. The reason I started painting furniture is because I was a stay at home mom with three kids. Um, my husband was working. I was of course mothering. Um, <laughs> and I wanted a new buffet and I wasn't about to go to the store and spend a lot of money on a buffet. And at the time we're going back, oh gosh, I would say almost nine or 10 years. Furniture painting wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. So for me to go out and find a buffet and then want to paint it and one person down the street had a little tiny store and she was making her own chalk paint. And I'm like, well, what is this chalk paint? It it wasn't a thing. Now, if you say chalk paint, I feel like everybody knows chalk paint. They know all the big names, you know, they know what it is and they know how to use it. But at that point it was very, very new. So she, um, I struck up a conversation and she became a friend and we started talking about paint and she made me some. And I painted a buffet and I was hooked. I was hooked because it took one piece that I was like looking at this total transformation. I think I bought that buffet for $25 off a little mommy group that was local (laughs) to my area. I painted that thing and it actually lived in my dining room until a couple of years ago. Um, 
but it was a hobby that turned into something that I could make extra money with at home. Because if your baby is napping, then you can go out to the garage. You know, Mm -hmm. you can go paint something or do something, but creatively, I just kind of taught myself as I, as I went along because nobody else was really doing it at that point. And then it blew up. (laughs) That's go ahead and run with that story. How did, how did it blow up for you? So I started shopping auctions, which is totally addicting. Have you ever shopped a furniture auction before? Oh or yeah. Any auction? Yeah. Austin. Oh my this is where we need Austin. He's the this auction is, addict. The original yeah, Austin. Yeah. He really is a, an auction addict. So we totally understand. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about like a serotonin boost, you're, you're going to get a big one from the auction. And I was shopping these online auctions. And like I said, not a lot of people were painting and flipping furniture and I was getting great pieces for like, you know, five, 10, 15 bucks where it didn't cost me much to go get it, bring it home, paint it, and then learn to, you know, make a profit when you, when you have such a low profit margin, I was making my, my chalk paint at home because there was recipes online that you could look up. I had a friend that, that showed me what she was doing. Um, and I kind of went with it. So buying kind of pieces to flip was my MO for a while. And then I don't know if it was just Richmond, Virginia, but I feel like one day everybody woke up and decided to paint everything they own. And (laughs) it became like I could throw a rock and hit a store that was selling painted furniture in my area. So I had a couple options, you know, as a, as entrepreneur, somebody who's painting and, and buying furniture and using different types of paint. And I, and I did try them all. I tried a lot of brands because you want to try everything. You want to see what's out there. And I was still making my own chalk paint, sometimes trying new chalk paint. And somehow on Facebook, I saw Dixie Bell. Now Dixie Bell, like I mentioned, is a paint company based here in the United States. They're actually in Florida. And they had been the trailblazers for creating an online community like none other because people were I don't know, so full of encouragement and, and, and commenting and sharing pictures. And if you happen to paint something in Dixie Bell paint and hashtag it Dixie Bell paint, well then maybe they're going to share it. And for a girl that was just painting furniture for fun and selling it out of her garage, that was kind of cool. You know, that was, that was something that made me interested. So, so along with the furniture business growing and people starting to paint and all these little booths and shops and places opening up in my local area, I thought, well, I've got to now move this along. You know, I'm going to try and sell my furniture maybe in a booth or maybe find a job where I could sell furniture and work at the store. Cause that's, that's kind of fun stuff too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is where my story changed. I went for a job interview um, at a local, almost like a bazaar, if you want to call it, people rent a, a booth space and right. then put yep. their products in, not just furniture. There's all sorts of random, crazy stuff in this bazaar. Um, and I met with the owner and he wanted to hire somebody to help him develop this kind of furniture, furniture aspect in his store. And we talked and we talked and we talked and then He wanted somebody to help him with the furniture part and the social media part. And I was, of course, full of ideas and I love to talk. So by the end of our interview, I'm like, I am your girl. I am. This is everything that you need right here. 
until he told me how much he'd pay me in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I thought, all right, well, I'm not going to do all of this for nothing because basically minimum wage at that point yeah. for me wasn't what I was looking for. And so a light switch kind of turned on and I joined Instagram. So this would have been in 2018 because I've only been on Instagram really since 2018. Oh, wow. So I started looking at what everybody else was doing and growing the online community, using a lot more color and saying, you know what, screw this black and white stuff and this, (laughs) you know, furniture that's painted all farmhouse. I mean, it's pretty, all the power to you if you do that, but I'm going to take this in another direction and we're going to see what happens. So color happened and I started doing what I wanted rather than kind of what the social norm was on Instagram Mm -hmm. and it, and it blew up. And when you look at social media, all of a sudden it becomes, I don't know, almost like a game, right? Because Mm -hmm. you've got a product you've got, at that point, I didn't really have a brand. I had a name. Um, I had something I was creating and I had a love of art and it just started snowballing. And I started building that little online community and making other furniture painter friends. And it was great. We moved on from there. If I could, I'd like to know a little bit more about your social media stance. You know, whenever you finish a piece, how do you decide like what kind of pictures you're going to post, what steps along the way are you going to post, what's sharing too much, what's not sharing enough? What's your approach to social media with this? I think if you were to ask me what my approach is with social media, I would have to say that I am all in. If you would have told me (laughs) that in my mid forties, I would be running a business that provides an income for my family, working for a company that I love and making money online along with running my own business, I would have been shocked. I would have never thought that that was something that could ever happen. But as you grow and you learn, and your, your social media increases, you start to almost learn tricks of the trade as you go along. Yeah. So building this online community, growing on Instagram, I was still growing on Facebook here and there a little bit, but Instagram was kind of my jam. I really liked it. Back then it was the Instagram of pretty pictures. That's where everybody Mm -hmm. lived for the pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. Now it's not that way. (laughs) So if you're not doing video on Instagram, you will, you will sink to the bottom of the tank. So when I take a piece now as a brand ambassador, I don't do what I did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was quantity over any real social media that was, you know, getting a piece of furniture, painting it, getting it done, getting it sold and getting the money in your hand. Now, now my job as a brand ambassador for Dixie Bell is to help promote this amazing paint line but to also create content. So now if you give me a piece of furniture, I am going to look at it as content. And how can I take that one thing and make it work on every single social media channel in the best way possible and also do my job as a brand ambassador? So one other thing I noticed when I looked at your links, you have a LinkedIn profile and it's about, you know, being a brand ambassador in in this exact field. That's not something you see a lot of creatives do. It's more of the businessman or businesswoman's realm. What has it been like LinkedIn for you? Is that have you seen any positive response from that? Okay. So as a creative coach, 
um, part of my job is, and it's also something I love is to kind of do a deep dive into social media. Um, I love it. I love social media. I love what it can give you as a entrepreneur, as, as a brand in anything, you could make candles, you could make pens, you could make furniture, whatever it is that you're doing, there's a home for that on social media and there's a way to make money. So things are changing slowly, but surely in social media right now. And, and not a lot of people are happy. Sometimes people are not in love with Facebook because of, you know, things that are happening on Facebook. Sometimes people don't love Instagram because of the video or the reels or the algorithm. So my son, who is actually turning 23 next month, um, he just moved to Boston and he got a great job at a startup and he's super techie. And he said to me in the fall that, uh, I think he was doing something in the kitchen table. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm on my LinkedIn profile. I was like, Oh, LinkedIn. What is that? That's just like your resume thing. Right. <laughs> he's like, no mom, come over here and have a look. Like the old lady doesn't know anything, but I'm like, please teach me. He showed me his LinkedIn profile. We talked a little bit about it. And I think LinkedIn is a, uh, a very big deal. I'll tell you a little something else about LinkedIn. LinkedIn bought the company that I was using their app to do all of my video creating skills for the past two years. I was involved in um, a, a beta testing program with a brand new app that basically took any form of content and formatted it to whatever size media you needed for your work. Of oh. course, because Facebook takes one format, Instagram takes another format, yep. IGTV is vertical, but YouTube is horizontal. <laughs> so I was using this amazing app that I would have paid a bajillion dollars for, but it was free because there's a baby startup app. And this does tie into LinkedIn, I swear. I promise it's coming around. <laughs> so I was using this baby app for a couple of years and it was my dream, because that gives you number one, more time because you're working smarter, not harder. You're doing one form of content and splitting it into many, many different values. Yep. Um, you know, you could embed it into your blog. You could, you could do anything with this little app, which I love. They finally announced in October or no September of last year that they are closing the app. Now I cried oh. and I was very upset and I was like, well, my life is over. No, your life is not over. You just have to find another way. You need to pivot, find another way of doing your work. So long story short, LinkedIn bought this app that I was using. Oh. So that was clue number one going, well, what is LinkedIn need with a creative app? Next thing you know, my son shows me LinkedIn, which literally has the same format as the old school Facebook, if you look at it. And LinkedIn just started a creator program. Did you know that? No, I didn't. didn't realize that. Uh-uh. Yep. So you can actually join LinkedIn as a creator and they are going to, there actually is off. They are offering lives. Um, you have to have over a certain amount of followers. I'm still a baby on LinkedIn. I just started, I believe in the fall, right when he told me to join, but I have a very strong feeling that LinkedIn is going to move into a more creative workspace because of the online community in the world in the times of COVID, <laughs> everybody's at yeah. home, everybody's working on their computer and there's a lot of creatives. And if you can somehow mesh that little baby app that I was using, it was called Jump Rope. It was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Um, if you could take that little app that they bought for a lot of money, they bought mm -hmm. it for a lot of money, which tells me they have some big plans 
to do some big creator work. And then LinkedIn just offered a new um, monetary value, I believe, for creators to join and promote their work on the platform. Wow. So LinkedIn to me is not a resume. It's not a resume (laughs) app, which is what I thought it was. LinkedIn for me is now a way to start to build another online community. Um, And somehow, and I haven't figured it out yet, come back to me in six months. I'll get there. I swear. (laughs) But it's going to be, I think a lot like Facebook is. Yeah. I, so I'm in the professional world and I know Christy is too. And Mm -hmm. I definitely work with people that they spend time on Friday mornings while they're having their coffee, cruising LinkedIn, like it is Facebook. You're absolutely right on that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's an interesting take. I never considered it. The one thing that is important on any social media platform, it doesn't matter what you do. You need to be at the ground level of what it is. Yes. And, And if you can be at the ground level, it's only going to benefit you as an entrepreneur and building your brand online because you then are going to, you know, get that foot in the door and grow faster. If somebody would have told me to, you know, do X, Y, Z at the time that it was needed, then you would be able to grow and, and build your brand and, and at the end of the day, make money, right? Because that's, I mean, yes, there's a passion for art. There's a passion for furniture, passion for paint, but we all have families. We have to, we have to support them. Yeah. See, I, here was my misconception with LinkedIn. I still thought of it as a resume uh, website and I was always afraid to even really explore it because I'm not looking to change jobs. And my fear was, what if my employer sees me posting on there? My fear was then that I'd be, they'd be like, is she trying to change jobs? Cause so I, I had a total misunderstanding. So I totally, appreciate, um, yeah, that perspective on LinkedIn, because I was, I was in the dark on it. And And, and that's, that's one of the things that's important to, to know as a creative, as a maker, Mm -hmm. as a creator, you are constantly building your brand online. And that's why you need to know these things when they start, because how would you know unless somebody told you? And, and right. that's, that's the basis of my coaching for creative group. I don't want to get too far off the track of, of furniture <laughs> stuff, but I, I do run a private social media training group online on Facebook. Um, and what the value is in that group is that you are then given the access to units of information. Each social media channel has a unit of information and I am Oh gosh, that group's been open for a couple of years now. I really haven't pushed it a lot until this year. Um, it was more like a landing pad for me to help connect with people that really wanted to kind of dive deep into what I was doing. But mm-hmm. you are going to learn then the tips and tricks and all of the things that, you know, it's that little handhold. I would have loved it if somebody would have told me, hey, you know, do this, 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 and this will help. Yeah. You know, and this kind of reminds me of what you said just a little bit ago about working smarter than harder, because Mm -hmm. I mean, that applies to both making projects as well as handling social media, as well as developing, you know, your brand and and going with that. So, but I'm kind of curious to, to dip my toe into your material and tools, because Mm -hmm. when I saw your best dang brush, because that's the name of it, right? (laughs) The best dang brush. Yeah. That is the that is the best name for it, first of all. And it, I hadn't ever seen, because I'm only at Home Depot and Hobby Lot or Home Depot and, and Lowe's for those type of, of materials. So 
kind of tell us what are your preferred materials and tools, just kind of your tricks of the trade. Of course. Well, like I said before, I do work for Dixie Bell, Dixie Bell Paint Company. I am a brand ambassador, so I only use Dixie Bell paint products. Now, that's not to say that I haven't used other paint products before I was Mm -hmm. a brand ambassador or a content creator. Um, But now I'm lucky enough to use their products and and as well as being involved in, you know, fun product testing and and helping create. Um, Dixie Bell makes everything that you would need to take a project from one to done. And they have products that are unlike a lot of other products. You know, they might be that little bit better. They have a product called slick stick, which has saved my tail more times than I can (laughs) ever tell because, you know, I paint my dining room. Uh That means I don't want to sand anything. So if you give me a dresser, that's like that Bombay shiny style plasticized dresser, Mm -hmm. the only way to paint that and have it stick is to obviously go through trial and error and figure out what's going to work and not going to work. But paint is not going to stick to a shiny plasticized surface. You're going to be able to scratch that right off. So rather than sanding, I would clean with a product called white lightning. Um, White lightning is a powder-based cleanser that you disperse into water and you can wash your actual furniture with. And when I say wash, there's days when I get a bucket and a sponge and wash that furniture because it's been in a barn or it's been who knows where. Um, (laughs) And then after you clean it, I always give my projects a slight scuff sand, which just helps with adhesion. You know, just that little extra insurance that I have to know that my paint is going to adhere well. And then I get out that slick stick and it's like my magical tool. Two coats of slick stick waiting 24 hours before you paint. And you can paint on metal, glass and plastic, which then it just opens up the door to a million more projects, really. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Great products. Um, and reliable products. You know, if you were to say to me, paint this shiny dresser without slick stick, that's not reliable to me. That's not going to give me a professional product that I can then sell. Because at this point in my career, I do sell a majority of my pieces at a consignment store locally here in Richmond, Virginia. It's called the Boho Basement. But I also then donate a large amount of my items back into the community. There's a local nonprofit based here in Richmond called the Sisters Love, and they help domestic abuse violence, um, people that are getting back out on their feet and sometimes need to then furnish their home. And I've developed a really great rapport and friendship with the owner of this nonprofit. And I now take, well, I actually just dropped something. Her son's picked something up this week. I take things and just give them to her. And if her girls then need to sell something because they need a car repair or they need money for something, they have the option then to, she will auction that piece of furniture. Maybe they just want the most beautiful buffet they've ever seen or the most gorgeous vanity and they deserve it. And I'll paint it for them and and love that part of my job because, you know, I like to give back to my community and I'm also a big believer in in karma. What you put out, you're going to get back. That's something I think a lot of creators struggle with is if you go through the trial and error or you go through the content creation, you end up with all this stuff. And it's like, what do I do with this stuff? And giving mm-hmm. back to the community. I mean, I can't think of a better way to get rid of stuff than to do just exactly what you said. That's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if the furniture fairies bring me a piece of furniture in my driveway, somebody just drops it off. Sometimes I don't even know where it came from. People just leave it there. Or if I'm lucky enough to get a piece for free, you know, those are the pieces that I then re-gift. Has anybody ever fairy dropped off 
one of your own pieces back to you? Like it just lived a rough life and it's made its way back around? <laughs> no, but I have seen, I have seen a marketplace, of course, because I'm always looking through marketplace for furniture to paint. And I have seen previously painted projects that I've done, you know, from five or six years ago, pop up a marketplace and which is totally fine. I mean, it's, it's your piece of furniture. You bought it for me, have at it. But I, I do find that a little hilarious or like searching through Zillow and I'll see an open house, like a picture with a piece of my furniture in it. That's kind of weird and wacky, but yeah. One thing that I think also stands out besides the beautiful painting and uh, is the transfers or the, the extra pieces that have the flowers and the decorations or the Mary Poppins or the farm scene. I mean, that's just, I think that's where for me, besides the color and the beauty, it just really takes it to a whole new level. What's kind of been your experience with that and, and how has that worked out? So that's called the bells and whistles, the bells and whistles line. Dixie Bell has great names. Like you said, best dang brush, uh, bells and whistles line. They have some really funny names for different things. And I, I do dig that. I think it's cute. So the bells and whistles is all the extra little things that might be on top of your, your furniture refinishing because you can use anything from Dixie Bell to do any of your furniture or crafts or home decor projects. Transfers are really neat. They're neat because they give a illusion of a hand-painted item when mm -hmm. it's not hand-painted. Um, I was actually lucky enough to help inspire and design a transfer in the past year. And it was just released, nice. released in December. Um, it's called Buds and Branches. And it's a floral arrangement that I helped create with a graphic designer to, um, to have it be released by Dixie Bell. So yes, transfers are cool, but it's especially cool when it has your name on it. That's for sure. <laughs> but transfers are a lot of fun. And I have about a million and five videos, I feel like, where I use transfers because I do like to do all of the things. That's like one of my favorite things to say when I'm doing videos. It's like, let's do all of the things. Like we're going to put gold on this. We're going to put a transfer on this. I'm going to put some stripes. Let's open the drawers and put something inside. It's just fun. You know, it's fun to take things to that next level and transfers totally help you do that. Definitely. But don't get me wrong. I can still hand paint. I do love to hand paint um, scenes on furniture. And I think I sent you one with a, yes. a barn and some crows. That's my Edgar Allan Poe inspired. Mm, really cool. Again, <laughs> the Richmond, Virginia thing. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely be posting that on the Instagram as well as a number of your other, other pictures, because they're just, they're just fantastic. So one thing I was kind of curious of when I was looking at the bells and whistles and looking at your pieces, I noticed you have a few that you'll do a paint treatment and you'll post, and then you'll do an applique and you'll post, and then you do maybe one more layer of some kind of design and then you'll post. And I was just wondering, you know, eventually when it, how do you decide when enough is enough? When we've gone far enough down this road, is it just whenever there's no more square inches to put stuff on top of, or that's, that's exactly the right answer. <laughs> when there's no more room to put anything else on there. A part of the reason why you might see a, um, one color dresser. So we had a brand new paint that was released, uh, within the past month from the silk line and silk is a paint. That's an all in one paint for furniture, which is amazing because that's a built-in primer and a built-in top coat. So it's literally, you paint it on two coats, you're done, you walk away. I mean, you cannot get any more simple than that. There's no priming, there's no top coats. So for me as a, as a brand ambassador, as a content creator, remember I'm looking at furniture now as content versus mm -hmm. a piece of furniture. This is not for my home. This is now a piece of, of work for me. How, how many ways can I get this one piece mm. of furniture to create video so content true. 
And then also what is the product that is the newest thing that part of my job would be to promote that item. So brand new silk color. It was a beautiful, there was a little Mojave dresser. It's like this beautiful kind of burnt mustard. So what you're going to see then is me make a video of me painting the project. Then you'll see me post that project. I do all my own photography in the same spot that I paint it. It's in a little staging area in the corner of my dining room, only in the daylight hours when I, I love natural light. I'm, and I love staging. I'm an avid thrifter and I will buy all of the things to put on top of all of the things. <laughs> it's like <laughs> maximalism at its finest, but that one little tiny dresser in one color, then that becomes one form of content. Then I will take that dresser and add transfers. Then mm-hmm. it becomes another form of content because I've created another part of the video. So then I have a video of it painted. Then I have a video of me applying the transfers, but I've also taken that same piece of transfer because you have how many sides to your dresser and how many sides are you putting it on? One side will go on IGTV. So I'll do a live on Instagram, applying the transfer, which then gets saved to an IGTV. I'll pop over to TikTok, apply it to the side of a drawer and do a live on TikTok. I will then take that entire painted and transferred piece and create more content by taking pictures of it when it's finished. And then I've got multiple videos. I've done multiple lives. I've got one piece done two different ways, but I've also kind of made it omnipresent across many different boards. I could have taken a still shot with every single video that I made and make a blog post. You know, my job is creating content. And, and honestly, in the day, if you can get that formula down and get it to where you can maxim, like use the maximum amount of content from that one piece of furniture, your job is just going to become, become easier. Yeah. As you're kind of walking through that, I mean, really beautiful process. So, cause I was thinking early on, you know, how, what speaks to you on a piece as to what colors to choose, what transfers to you to choose, you know, what kind of pulls you in a direction for a certain kind of piece, or is it just kind of luck of the draw? Sometimes they talk to me right away. I I tend to gender my pieces of furniture, which is super weird and random. And I also sit in the morning and have a coffee and look at them once I've kind of cleaned them up and got them ready to go. I sit there and wait for it to speak to me. What do you want to be? Are you a girl? Are you a boy? Are you going to be dark and moody? Are you going to be cheery and happy? Are you going to be like total Mad Hatter with stripes and Harlequin and Mm -hmm. over the top? You know, every piece has like bones to it that kind of push it in a direction. Um, but you know, it's, that's the best part I would say of my job is that I'm not painting furniture anymore to sell furniture. I'm painting furniture to what makes me happy. So that differs from the regular person that might be painting a piece of furniture to take to their booth and sell it or to put it on marketplace because not everybody wants, you know, a Mad Hatter inspired dresser that has weird and wacky things on it, or like a piece of furniture that I've drawn dark crows in a barn. <laughs> you know, the weird and wild for me is the, the better, um, but it might not work for everybody's decor. So if you're painting furniture to sell it, obviously you think of things more in a neutral value. I just look at it and think, let's take it to the max. What do you want to be? 
and, and how can I achieve that look? And then it becomes a content breakdown from there. I have a piece right now sitting in my dining room. I have a live tomorrow. I'm live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on the Dixie Bell paint page on Facebook, painting live for an hour. And that means I have to have something there to, to do and to talk about. And I have a piece that's been sitting in my room now for two days. Today's Tuesday. I brought it in yesterday and it's still naked. It has no color. (laughs) And and I haven't decided it's not speaking to me. And, And I actually put up a post today on TikTok because Hey, there's more content. Hey, TikTokers, what do you think I should paint this beautiful little thing behind me? Um, And then people are going to talk to you and interact with you. You're putting the hook out there. Grab, grab that, put that hook. How are you going to make people interact with what you're doing? Um, So I think that, you know, my job is a special one. It's a great one, but it's a little bit different than when a regular person might paint something for their home or paint something to sell. I had a question when you were talking about all these pieces, where do you keep all this stuff? All this is in that shed just stacked on top. Of- it is. It is the, the shed is now the holding area of all the pieces that need to be done. And at points it is stacked two or three or four pieces high because I'm never going to turn down a free piece. I'm right. never going to not stop and pick something up off the side of the road. And if somebody says, Hey, this is 10 bucks. I'll be like, how many do you have? Bring them have over. you ever Frankenstein pieces together to make something new? Of course I have. That's actually wonderful. And there's a product that Dixie Bell carries that um, really kind of utilizes the Frankenstein, I don't know, creation. So if you have a mirror or, or a dresser and you want to put them together or you're missing the backing of a piece or maybe the whole corner of a piece is, is broken off or missing trim, Dixie Bell makes a uh, a product. They don't make it. The other company actually, they collaborate and sell it for them. But there's a product called Would You Bend? It's a company based in the UK. Have you heard of Would You Bend? Yes, no. I have. Okay. Ooh, you haven't. I should totally send you some. You would love it. So Would You Bend is bendy wood. It's literally moldings and trim and pieces that once you heat them up, they're made from wood and particles. Once you heat them up on the backing, you can then bend them and shape them. So on those say Victorian have a curves. Yeah. yeah, like on the bow front dresser, uh, you can cut them. You can sand them, you can drill them, you can paint them, you can stain them. So when you want to Frankenstein a piece together, would you bend is usually what's going to make it happen. That's the trim that you can add to both pieces. That's the thing that you can use to cover a seam. You know, that's the thing that you can use to like really make it stand out. Definitely. I noticed you use a brush in most of your painting. I was just curious, do you have any other techniques or is your brush your go-to? And if so, is there a reason why? Okay. So I am a completely, you know, brush by hand painter. Um, you have the ability to spray Dixie Bell paint. It just needs to be diluted a, a tiny bit. Um, and you can spray anything you like, but that takes a garage and a spray tent and yeah. a room. And, you know, it's yeah. me sitting on the floor in my, in my little dining room floor painting with a brush, but there's also effects that you can't get with sprayer. Uh, I like a lot of blending and ombre. They call it ombre effects. Mm-hmm. People are like, what is that? I'm like, it's just a fancy word for blending colors. Blending. Yeah. Blending. And, and there's tools that can make that job really easy. Like, you know, Chris, you was mentioning that best dang brush, that big old best dang brush is a uh, synthetic and natural fiber brush. I believe it's 70%, 75% natural and like 30, whatever, 25 synthetic. I'm not a mathematician. I'm, 
I'm an artist. It's half, like almost half and half. But what that brush does is gives you the ability um, with a spray misting bottle filled with water to, you know, you can get in there and dampen your paint. Chalk mineral paint, which is what Dixie Bell makes, is pliable and kind of malleable when it's wet. You can move it around and get a lot of different effects that you can't get if you were spraying or if you're using, say, spray paint or if you're using a different kind of paint, like an enamel paint, um, paint has different properties and there's just certain effects that really work well with different, different styles of, of paint. I like asking these, this or that kind of questions and just see, you know, your opinion on a few things in my world, there's a big contention over restore versus conserve restoration versus conservation. Mm-hmm. Which one of those would you say you lean more towards? And uh, do you have, you know, do you have a flag in either fight? Oh my gosh. So I am, I'm one of, um, I believe there's nine of us right now, brand ambassadors. And we have a, an ongoing chat where we talk about some of the stuff that happens online, because there are people out there that will outright attack us. Why did you do that to that piece? Oh my God, you painted that wood. Oh my gosh, that was oak. I'm like, yeah, it was oak. And watch me, I'm going to paint it all day long because I don't like that color. So if you ask me, there are certain types of period style furniture that lean towards non-painting. Obviously, mid-century modern. MCM is one of those pieces that People are like, oh my gosh, don't ever paint that. And I get it because it will lose its value if you paint it. But if that piece of furniture belongs to you and you hate that color, <laughs> paint it. Um, if you get that piece of furniture, remembering I get stuff out of barns. I get yeah. stuff off of the side of the street. I get stuff from, you know, nothing I get is pristine and clean and ready to go. I'm talking like there are times when I have a full day of prep work. I'm cutting new tops. I'm, you know, repairing holes. I'm rebuilding the sides of drawers. Nothing I get is something that is so valuable that, oh my gosh, you can't touch it. I'm fixing something to become usable again, to be repurposed, to be reloved, you know? So I am all about, I don't want to call it what do you want to call it? It's not restoring. It's just, it's conservation. You're keeping it you know, out of the landfill. Exactly. I'm, I, rather than going to the junkyard, yeah, I'm finding a new way to give this piece of furniture a new love and, and a new home. So, but there are all pieces like I'm sitting in a room right now in my front room. There's two pieces of furniture in here that are naked. They have no paint on them at all. Could you imagine in my house? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, so got- this is the only room. <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that because the first thing I noticed behind you is all the baskets, like the decor. Yeah, you and it's should like, see my wall. This wall is really fun. I uh, I created fun. this wall out of thriftiness because, you know, artwork is pretty darn expensive. Yeah. And I am my own worst critic. I can probably paint art for my wall, but you won't see me hang up any of my own artwork. I will give it away. I will sell it. I can't. I, I don't like to. I don't like to look at it. It, it wouldn't actually. I think it would bother me. So I actually created this wall um, and of course made a TikTok while I was doing it. <laughs> but I did this wall out of old baskets from the thrift store and a couple of pieces that I got from Hobby Lobby and little things in between and some greenery. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We only have one piece of painted artwork in our house. Well, one of mine. And it's because we went to one of those painting classes and mine mm-hmm. came out so much better than my wife, my wife's. 
that I hung them up right next to each other. Just so every time she walks by, <laughs> she's reminded her. who the talent of course. is. And so I had one more, this or that kind of question. Sure. I saw in one of your posts, you bought some knobs from Hobby Lobby. And so I was curious, what's the go-to place for all the good trinkets, Hobby Lobby or Michael's? Ooh, I'm going to say Hobby Lobby for sure. Um, Hobby Lobby throws their knobs on sale, right? Every, what does mm-hmm. it go? It runs in a rotation of, I think every four weeks, those knobs come up on sale. But I am also a big collector of crap. If you go into my <laughs> shed right now, I can give you four boxes of vintage knobs that I saved. I'm going to save oh, every yeah. piece of hardware that I get because you can actually reuse the hardware. So if I get a piece of furniture that is missing hardware or only has one or doesn't have any, you can use a product called Dixie Bell's Mud, which is basically a spackle that you would apply to your piece and fill those holes, paint right over top of them, obviously drill new holes. And then you can use gilding wax, which is an oil-based product, um, or you're just spray paint if you want. I mean, nine times out of 10, I just spray paint old hardware and put it back on the piece. I think stuff looks better when you can put original hardware versus anything too, too new. So you want to really give some of those internet trolls heart attacks, just do videos of you painting metal hardware. Oh, listen, I'll use gilding wax and they'll have a fit because they're like, how does that stay on? I'm like, this is an oil-based product. It will harden like rocks after 24 hours. You're not going to be able to get it off. (laughs) So, and I have pieces in my home. I get questions all the time. People saying, how does that hold up? You know, how does, how does that work? How did the spray paint stay on the handles? Did your paint stay sealed? I mean, I have pieces in my home that I have painted and they hold up wonderfully. So if I'm painting it for my home and it's lasting through kids and dogs and life and everything else, I feel confident knowing that when I've finished a project, I can send it out. Now you do have to be aware of certain things like, you know, cure times. I don't really want to paint a piece, put stain on a piece, seal a piece with like a a water-based polyacrylic and then send it right out the door. They, the, every right. piece I do goes home with a care card, uh, talking about light usage for 30 days. I like to say everything needs to be cured for 30 days. Don't, don't use it for a month. That's just my safety net. Um, but everything cures at a different time. Chalk mineral paint, you know, cures at about 20 days. Um, silk all in one mineral paint takes about 30 gel stain. If you're applying gator hide or, or a clear coat to it, you know, it, all these things have times you can't just run in and decide you're going to throw the biggest, heaviest con- candelabra that you have on the top and hope <laughs> for the best. You know, they, you just want to be gentle with things until they cure. Yeah, that sounds, that is, that is really great advice. We're kind of curious what, what's next for you? What's on the horizon for your, your brand and in your business? What do you see ahead for you? Well, I see a lot of fun because social media is, so huge. And there's enough room for everybody, you know, building your brand online is something that is necessary this day and age. You, you Mm -hmm. can't run a business if you're not on social media. I mean, you could try, but you'd probably not do as well as if you were out there promoting your stuff. You know, that's where people Mm -hmm. are. People, some people don't have TVs anymore. They don't listen to the radio. They're on their phones. They're looking at all of the things. So I'm, I'm very excited for apps that are paying. Um, TikTok has something called a marketplace. Once you reach a certain level of followers and interaction, you can then do brand collaborations. 
So I love brand collaborations. Um, I've worked with a couple different companies. I have one right now that I'm, and this is maybe just totally geeky of me because it sounds like such a mom thing, but <laughs> it's, it's a box called Deco Crated. Okay. D-E-C-O. Oh, Crated. C-R-A-T-E-D. Uh-huh. So what it is, is a subscription box that is oh. sent to you quarterly mm-hmm. full of amazing home decor. Like, hello, right up my alley. Love it. Uh-huh. You can use it for yeah. staging. So I have a box sitting that I can't um, spoil until March 1st when I can go live and talk about what's inside of it. But doing brand collaborations like that, where you're getting paid or you're getting products or however you're marketing yourself at your level of business. I like that stuff. It's, it's kind of like, um, like a little reward for your hard work. You know, it's, it's amazing to be able to partner with companies and show them what you got. And who would have thought that a 30 second TikTok is going to pay you money. It is crazy, crazy world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Melissa, we have had a great time with you this evening. And I mean, I'm going to have to listen and listen and listen through the episode myself just to kind of glean what all you have have talked about today, because it was a a lot of great, great material. Well, have me back anytime. I'd love to just come on and talk about, you know, social media, if you wanted to talk about, or if you want to send me a message, I will be happy. I told you before we started this conversation, I'm a chatty girl. I'm more than happy to, to talk. It makes me happy. Plus the fact is that as an artist, I'm by my stinking self nine times out of 10 (laughs) during the day. So y'all are my friends. Like my online community becomes my friends and you begin these great friendships and you, you build relationships. So thank you for having me. Thank you. The, uh, and kind of speaking of that, as far as building online, Dean and Austin and myself, we met online, um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, I mean, I talked to these two guys, I only talk to my husband more than I talk to these two guys, you know, it's just kind of, you know, one of those peculiar things, but, but yeah, there's definitely some wonderful, wonderful benefits to the yeah, online. Look, if this, so this is my phone. I don't know if it'll focus, but my last three texts are from my mom, my wife, and then this group. <laughs> yeah, that's the last there you three. go. And you know, that's important stuff. I think that at the end of the day, as a creator, as an artist, you need to have like-minded people. You need to build your tribe. If you don't have that tribe that supports you and encourages you, then you might be, you know, hesitant to post or feel less, I don't know, excited about what you're doing, but building Mm -hmm. the online community and having people that are like-minded, you know, just makes it more fun. Absolutely. Well, could you uh, give the listeners your kind of rundown of where they can find you, where they can find your, your various social medias and and web. All right. Well, It is quite easy because every single social media channel, you're going to find me under the same name, which is at the top drawer RVA. Don't forget the RVA stands for Richmond, Virginia area. Um, You can find me every Wednesday painting live on the Dixie Bell paint page on Facebook, where it is then saved to that page. I also send it over to my own Facebook page and I am on all of your channels. But if you go to any, anything, even just www.thetopdrawerrva.com, you will be able to access anything and contact me at any time. I'm always happy to help. I'm always happy to talk shop and I can teach you everything you need to know about Dixie Bell Payne. Perfect. Well, thank awesome, you so Lisa. much thank for you so much. joining us tonight. No problem. Bye. All right. So Christy, I know you had to enjoy that interview. You were all excited about interviewing Absolutely. Melissa. And Jacob, we brought you in because as I was, we were talking to her, uh, and she was talking about her process and she was talking about her working environment. 
I got to think about you and Jade and how y'all have shit in every room of that house. Thanks for putting that out on front street, man. I appreciate it. And so I wanted to talk about, well, one, I'm trying to figure out why y'all are other dog designs and didn't do something with like J and J or, you know, I mean, there's something there, but that may be for another episode tonight. I want to talk about hoarding for the future. You know, the maker propensity to not throw that cutoff away because I might use this for a project down the road. And Christy, I know you're building that shop and I know y'all have half used packages of stuff that needs to go in the dumpster and y'all are pushing off in the corner. So why don't you talk about hoarding for the future and maybe some examples of that um, recently in this shed build. Shop build. Yeah. Shop build, whatever, whatever you want to uh, call it. Yeah. So uh, absolutely. I've been a hoarder since, I was a child, honestly. I mean, I remember in high school writing papers about my hoarding abilities. So this just carries on along. Um, But as we were talking to Melissa about her projects, I mean, there are friends of mine who hoard things and give them to me because like hardware, for example, the dresser that I made a couple of years ago or that I flipped a couple of years ago, um, it was old recycled hardware. But the hoarding, the hoarding has come in really, really handy with the shop, like you said there, because just the other day, was it today? It might have even been earlier this morning. Marvin calls me and he's like, honey, (laughs) I have uh, we've got a client who is taking out a sunroom. So they've got four by eight sheets of plexiglass, like half inch plexiglass, like and that's you guys know how expensive that is right now. And he's like, we're going to just hold it in the shop here at work. And then because I want to build a CNC enclosure and I want to have plexiglass on some of the sides. So that's going to come in really handy. The trusses, you know, between the attic and and the uh, main floor, we built it that way because of what he had from another project. Um, You know, we've also had, well, just different pieces of wood obviously we've had a lot of we had a lot of bracing since we're using the icf type building we had a lot of bracing so we had a lot of um osb that we used for that our two by fours two by sixes that we didn't need to use for anything else after we took the bracing down but guess what that's going to be great for shelves whenever we get to that point so really there's just been a ton of hoarding and it's paying off you know, I was thinking about that plexiglass last week. We talked about Austin's project where he's going to make mailboxes at McDonald's to put kids in for their parents to pick up. You could do plexiglass fronts so that parents will know when they pull in, if there's a kid in there or not. I thought the flag would work, but sometimes those flags get knocked down. So plexiglass front doors on those might work. Drill some holes there um, here in North Carolina. I'm, I'm sure this is a saying, you know, all over, but there was a, a saying of uh, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. And I think that it comes from, uh, you know, especially my my mom and my grandparents generation coming through the depression. You didn't you you couldn't just go to Amazon and get something. You had to hang on to the stuff because it might be the only way that you can repair your car. You can repair yeah. your lawnmower is because you have the broken one that you couldn't repair before. And I think that, you know, now we've kind of gotten spoiled with this privilege of being able to throw stuff away because we can just order new. So I, you know, and it, it's a constant battle of, of the line between having the stuff to prepare you for the future and just having a house full of trash. 
But uh, and especially I think because um, we're kind of hobby collectors. So, you know, it, I, I, get, I get super into something right up until I bought all the stuff for it. And then I seem to lose interest. So I have to move on to the next thing. So not only do I have a, a house full of materials, but I have a house full of the, the tools and supplies and and all of that. So I think that that goes into it, too. It's just wanting to have the, the stuff because you never know you might need it. You're right. You do never know. So I'm wanting to build a flip top cart. Uh, I've got these two sanders that I need a place for. And part of my design is I want to do a flip top where both sanders are actually on one side, flip over, and I've got a work table. So oh. uh, Tamar 3 by 3 Customs made one of the most amazing projects I've seen in a long time. She did a portable and affordable workbench for small spaces, but it's basically has, it's a workbench made from a two by 10 with dog holes and it's got a vice on one end. So I'm going to do one half of it. The top will be dog holes, vice, and a sanding station where I can hook my shop back up and I've got a downdraft table built in, or then I flip it over and I've got my two sanders on the other side. And I never like these tables because people put a threaded rod all the way through. And I don't know, there's just something that bothers me about 40 inches of rod and you're only using an inch on each side. Like, why do you need this? And I get it. It's just what people have. People don't have the machining ability to take a steel bar and thread just the ends. But I have a set of steel spacers that came with a piece of equipment that I no longer have, but I kept them because you never know when you might need these spacers and they're going to allow me to use just bolts on each end with these steel spacers. I'll be able to put some grease in there. They'll work just like bearings. It's going to be perfect. I won't need a threaded rod all the way across. And then have to, they, when people build these tables, they're building infrastructure to hold this rod. It messes with the whole functionality of everything. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm definitely, I have lug nuts off of cars that I haven't owned in 10 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's like, why do you have these? And then whenever we did the mallet challenge last year, I needed something that I didn't care about dye or ink messing up that could weigh down this wood while I was running the vacuum, filled up a Ziploc bag with lug nuts, dropped it in the, the vacuum pot with it. And it was perfect. And I was so glad that I, I had hung on to those lug nuts. Now they're back in the drawer and I'm like, why do I still have these things? I need to throw these away, but it'll probably be six more months. And I'm like, man, I really wish I had this. The one that I really struggle with though is wood. Because in my mind, even though I have never turned a pin, I've never turned a pin. I have a box full of cutoffs that I'm like, this is still big enough that I could make a pin out of. Yep. And it's so hard to throw away that two by 24 inch piece of plywood. Cause I'm like, I might need a spacer for something, or I may need something to build a jig out of. And I just need to learn to let go of some of this wood. Well, to be fair though, you had a, a whole bunch of scraps that most people have thrown away and you turned them into a stamp business. So, I mean, you, you ended up not having to buy the wood for any of your stamps because you kept that stuff. So I know actually I was thinking the other day, I need to start doing some big projects again because I'm running out of stamp base uh, material. Um, I'm turning out some, I'm using too good of stuff for stamps. I need to, you know, it's hard to justify cutting three inches off of a two foot long board to make one stamp. But that is a good point. So whenever you hoard for the future, I mean, when do you decide to purge? At what point do you say, look, this is a harbor for spiders and detritus and this needs to go? Christy, what do you think? Um, Marvin told me that whenever we moved. <laughs> 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 there was the uh, that was pretty much a reality conversation that we had to have. And just the thought of 
moving everything. You know what I mean? Just taking everything. My problem, well, I've got a lot of problems, but one of my very, very first projects, probably my second project that I made was just one of those decorative um, snowmen just out of a couple boards. Um, You sit on your front porch decoratively outside. And I needed a nose. I needed the nose for this, um, the snowman. And I just happened to have a peculiar triangle type cutoff of a very worn part of a piece of barn wood. It was literally maybe, maybe an inch on one end. And it was maybe about four or five inches long of a triangle. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I'm just, so ever since then, ever since the beginning, I'm like, oh, but I might need the snowman's nose. So that really has been the ruin for me. Yeah. Don't listen to the episode with Laughing Mandis because you'll convince yourself you're going to get into, you know, wood art like he does. Yeah. And Tarjan, you'll need every little scrap. But see, Jacob, I see that's something to me. Y'all do a lot of the, the signs. You do a lot of laser cut signs. And I could see where you convince yourself I can use this three inch piece of wood. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and frequently do, but yeah, I would say I try to keep it with that. I have a box that's my scrap and I, the, the box has, the lid has to close on the box. Okay. I do my best to pull out as much as I put in so that the lid stays closed. So sometimes it's just gaming the system. Like it's just kind of figuring out that line for yourself. Like if you have a cutoff bin, you have to keep your cutoffs within that bin. So if something comes in, something has to go out. You know, the same thing, it's, you, you only have so much space. So you, sometimes you just have to, um, that's where you draw the line. It's just, how do you make the space work? So the real ominous of this subject was, I was thinking about Austin, Austin not being here. And I don't know if I know of a bigger hoarder for the future mm-hmm. than Austin. And Jacob and I have both been at his house. Mm-hmm. So what do we think Austin's answer to that question would be? I mean, I think his answer is you buy another shipping container. You get another yes. derelict vehicle that doesn't run so you can shove shit in the back seat. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yes. But that's that comes from auction addiction. And I think there's support groups for that that we can get them in touch with that would definitely help out. That's a good callback to the interview that you weren't even in that uh, <laughs> auction addiction is real and it apparently impacts more people than we realize. I was going to say in Austin's defense, though, his space like his, his neat freak like nature wars with his hoarding nature. Yeah. And he actually does a better job than anybody I've ever seen having that much stuff in Everything's that small in a of a space, yeah. but still be completely usable and neat. So yeah. to, to give him credit where, where it's due. We'll give him that. So I want to go ahead and end this on a positive note on a, a high. I want to talk about the one time or one good example of when hoarding for the future paid off when you went into the bin and that part you needed was there because you had hoarded it. Or maybe it's a product that when you come across an opportunity to buy in bulk and hoard it, you never pass it up because you know you always use it. Christy, what do you got? If it has a story or a connection, I'm going to keep it. That was the line whenever we were moving stuff and uh, what fit or didn't fit in the boxes or bins or trucks. If it was something that I got from somebody or something that I got somewhere in particular, you know, from the farm or whatever, I'll throw away every bit of plywood and dimensional lumber that I've ever bought before I'll throw away one piece of turnable walnut that I got from the farm when we were cutting wood. You know, that, that is, that is my line. 
period. Always the story. Jacob, you got something? Yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm going to give uh, credit to the, uh, to my wife. She cannot turn down a piece of furniture and uh, like, and I'm always hesitant to get it. I always, I don't see the vision, but she will pick up a piece, like a aunt, an uncle, a friend will, will turn up with this piece of furniture and magically she's, she's made the house into something that we could not have been able to do if we had gone out to the store trying to create the collection that we have as far as our, our decoration. And she had a set of dressers that really, I mean, just would, would have looked in, would have looked a little shabby to be in the barn. And she turned it into probably the most beautiful thing in the house, like walnut and and the milk paint. I know Christy, we were talking to you yep. about that. I mean, just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. So I'll give her credit for that. She, she hoards for the future when it comes to furniture, she makes it work. Uh, we did have a disassembled couch on our kitchen table for a year and a half, <laughs> but it is now my favorite couch. It's my, my favorite chair in the house because she did get it completely rebuilt from the, from the studs up. So um, I'll give her credit for that. That's awesome. Uh, Dean, what about you? So I've, I've got two, one was um, two and a half years ago, Dave Taylor, he does uh, wood signs and he posted about this Loctite super glue. Hey, black Friday, home Depot, buy this stuff. It's two for one. And I bought 20 of them before I knew I was going to make stamps. And then I get into this position where I need super glue to glue these stamps together. And I have a surplus because I listened to this, Hey, this is a good deal. You need to get this. And I bought a bunch of it and it ended up working out really well. The other one that I hope works out really, really well is when I was watching the video uh, for tomorrow's workbench, she links the kit for the vice. Um, so it's two threaded rods, two turnbuckles, square nuts and washers, and it's $40. And that's extremely reasonable to make that kind of vice, but I ain't paying that. So I went online and at a 18 wheeler parts store, they sell threaded rod turnbuckles, all the parts that you need, but they're selling them for 18 wheeler tie downs. And you have to buy in bulk. So I bought 10 turnbuckles, 10 pieces of threaded rod. And for the price of 10 of everything, you had to buy 10 to get free shipping. And for that price, it was the same price of buying two of the kits. So I only need one, much less two, but I can make 10 if I need to. So uh, that's one where I hope hoarding for the future pays off in the end. Well, I'll, I saw the same workbench video and I was thinking about building one. So maybe I'll buy a set of you go. I'll ship you a setup. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear feedback from you. So reach out to us on Instagram at making our way podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at high caliber craftsman. Christy is at twisted twine woodworking and Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends. So Jacob, when I edit, it's so hard not to just skip that whole part. Cause it's like, I'm already an hour into it. And usually I'm actually about two hours into the edit and I'm like, fuck, skip the next 20 minutes. But that's where you get stuff like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't use that. Obviously. <laughs> that's totally the one. <laughs>